This podcast will start with morning doves and end with the Great Pyramids of Giza. So morning doves, morning doves, beautiful birds, and I've gotten to know them a little more intimately, interestingly enough, because the last two summers, um, and we're in full swing now because we're in July, today's July 1st, and um, it's a situation where I have a little nest, um, and morning doves are notorious for building really flimsy, uh, uh, tattery, um, loose, packed, if at all packed, um, uh, nests, and, but this, uh, pairing couple, um, and they have, for the last two seasons at least, um, they have, uh, well, I think it's just the last two seasons, the last two, so we're July 1st today, and right now they, the little morning dove mother <clears throat> and father who take turns, by the way, to uh, sit on the eggs, sit on the, before they hatch. And then I think they kind of cooperate. They work together, the mother and the father. I don't know which is up. I'm pretty sure during the day it's the mom and uh, daddy takes over at, uh, you know, the later evening, overnight kind of thing and then I think the mother must come in earlier because I think she's a daytime sitter I'm pretty sure Um, and in any event it's either one of them up there and the mother and father themselves are just beautiful adult birds there you know if we look at them from the profile they have a a smallish head so that puts them in the dove Uh, they're certainly a dove like bird and if you've seen them uh, here in New England, and particularly where I live, uh, morning doves are omnipresent uh, birds. Really, they're the, they're sort of just a um, staple of the of the area, especially well this time of year. Uh, I'd say the morning doves really came to front, um, and it involves my front stoop, by the way, to my house, um, where I go out and sit and have a smoke um, every so often. So I sit on on a slab there. I'm sitting on a chair on on the slab, the front slab, and above me is the um, uh, pinnacled, it's a a doorway entrance overhang um, of the colonial style, so it's a pointed, sort of a little uh, gable kind of thing there. Uh, it's a front entry, and um, I'm not sure why I have trouble explaining it. It's a bungalow front entry portico, uh, rather shallow but wide, uh, accommodating for one or two people to sit on each end uh, and still let the mailman <laughs> deliver his mail easily uh, to the mailbox that's attached on the house, you know. But I look up and I see a tethered nest, you know, a, a, a t- tattered but uh, loose, and little strands of things. I don't even know, what is it grasses or something they get? It's like a hay, 
It must be tall grass. I'm going to assume that they make it partly of that and other material to add up to a flimsy, notoriously flimsy morning dove nest for mommy to sit on during the day, which I believe is the case, and the father sitting on basically taking over at night. So it's a day-night thing with the parental duties. Um, But uh, it's God's nature, you know, certainly. Um, A parent in front of us. I don't know much about the bird other than they're a very pleasing bird. I I don't really... um, My brother Claude, of course, would know about the morning dove a lot more than I would. But I do know their behavior habits are very uh, consistent uh, in that they are really, I oh my gosh, they're, they're like the best parents that any, they, any entity can have because they are so, I mean, she is constantly there when I come out the front door and I always kind of take a peek up to see how she's doing. And so the big news today is July 1st, 2023, um, I saw a little chick yeah, a little chick coming up with a teeny, you know, if you think the, you think the um, morning dove adult heads are small. These little, little chicky poos have a teeny little head, you know. And they're, uh, the mother wasn't, didn't look like the mother or dad was feeding. Uh, must have been the mother because this was this morning. Um, but they were doing something there where the, the little chick was, Newly hatched, obviously, very tiny, very small. Um, you know, the whole the whole baby chick would just come out of a small egg and be very small. Um, yeah, um, probably only about maybe a couple inches long, if that. And the mother, but a long beak development, um, and it's uh, nature at work and. So she's a faithful mom. Uh, she's very stoic. I kind of like been applying that word to her because she just is very, doesn't move at a, a centimeter up there. She's tucked in the, the return of my portico. There's a little, there's a little um, alcove on each side that is, uh, is capable of accommodating something like a... a a, a bird's a bird's nest and, and a, a, not a bad size one either and this family I believe it's the same family I would assume for the last two seasons has uh, discovered it and used it and utilized it and it provides a really good shelter and keeps every keeps a mommy uh, just busy she's just zenning out I guess sitting on her her babies if she's got one egg or two or more, I don't know how many eggs. I think it's two they typically lay. From my observation, there's been uh, little broods of two. I think you probably still call them a brood after maybe the second chick is born, a brood. It might even be, even if it's just a single baby parent, uh, parents, it might still be considered a brood, you know. Certainly a family, a little family there. Um, that bird's going to grow up. Um, the puzzling thing is there was a, a hatch before this one um, 
hatch time is big deal and I usually notice it pretty quickly uh, when I'm coming out of the house it's on the right return inside portico uh, shelter and I'm glad that she gets the shelter and, and isolation a little bit that she really kind of needs um, I think about the other morning doves how they're doing it um, these are crafty very um, very uh, they knew where they wanted to go and it was just it's actually really not a bad place the thing I can do is put up a little tiny uh, yardstick kind of a wood strip uh, going around to make a little a little wall there coming up not much it would only have to come up about a half inch or so and that would help um, because uh, there's been eggs that have fallen unfortunately um, and you know just all over the, the slab, not because of the mess. I'm just so sad to see. Um, but that was just a very early egg. But still, it's, it must be disappointing for, for mom or dad. Um, but yeah, morning doves are great, special uh, little uh, animals, uh, birds. And um, they, they like to walk on the sidewalk. Uh, I see them walking um, out on the sidewalk and they're looking for stuff and doing their, their little pecking. And the sound of the morning dove is sad in the morning, you know. Um, they're, they're, that's how they get their name. Um, and so they're, they're sort of like, they're kind of like, it's a melancholy sound, but at the same time, soothing. It's sort of like a, actually, when I think about it now, it's sort of like a land version of, of a loon on a lake up in New Hampshire. You know, um, certainly they have a loon-like, more, the more I think about it kind of thing, but it's not as sustained or it's got a different characteristic, um, but it's softer. Uh, there's the distant morning doves cooing, and that's what you do. You coo, and there are certainly little cooing doves. You know, they're like the pigeons, which are rock doves. Um, and uh, they, they coo, certainly, and they're kind of interesting uh, birds themselves, certainly, uh, ubiquitous in the urban-suburban landscape, the pigeon, uh, probably the most common bird that we see when you really think about it. Um, and uh, maybe not, I could be wrong. I'll need to check with Claude on that, <laughs> certainly. Uh, but rock doves are common, you know. I think it's an urban thing anyway. Uh, think, of the, think of the pigeons in Rome, you know, when someone gets up from the fountain and then you got a chain reaction, like coming out of Hitchcock of, of these incredible, but it's just beauty of the Italy the whole scene of Rome and pigeons and the, the imagery, the imagery, you know. Uh, and But the morning doves... Dove family, same family as pigeons, certainly. And same, same family as uh, pigeons, which are, which are rock doves. <laughs> uh, you probably already knew that, and I would imagine. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, some people really aren't into really tracking and keeping tracking of birds. To some, it's probably akin to uh, doing some kind of activity 
Oh, let's not forget the dove. The dove themselves, the symbol of peace, the doves. So the dove, the doves, the beautiful white, beautiful symbolic doves, and the family of of rock dove. That includes rock dove, morning bird, uh, morning birds. Um, and I like the fact that they got bird in their name, morning bird. You know, what? I don't think there's any other bird that has the word bird. Oh yeah, there probably is. Uh, mockingbird, of course, of course there are, of course there are, and there are probably more. Blackbird. Wow, what am I saying? Wow. Okay. Uh, so the doves, the morning doves, the rock doves, the pigeons are the rock doves. The the doves, uh, morning doves, pigeons, and doves. Uh, the dove trilogy. You know, the dove, the symbol of peace. Picture it rising. You know, like a symbol of peace. And in the middle, and then on the left, the let's say the the um, uh, the rather pedestrian rock dove that we see in cities like Rome, and then um, uh, pecking on the ground like they do and looking for food, it's sort of scavengers, right? Uh, and then we have the we have the beautiful morning dove, which I've been lucky to really experience it outside of my front door, literally. Uh, the caringness of this mother, really, in their concern. And um, it's just a glad, uh, you know, it's a kind of a cool feeling to know that they're just giving me the honor of taking the nest um, in my portico. It's kind of neat. They're safe up there. They're, they're about um, I don't know, maybe seven and a half, eight feet up. And they are tucked in there really nicely. Um, it's got a slight uh, ledginess that comes down and tapers down, which is a little bit of a danger, but it's not enough of an angle to uh, slide them down, um, which would not be a good thing. I'd have to definitely put up some kind of support for them. So they, but they, right now they they sit good. Her nest, she made it a little bit more to the wall, which was advantageous because she's made other really crappy nests. Really, they really don't make a good nest, you know? You think birds would have all their nest kind of architecture and engineering down, you know, by now. But the rock dove is, uh, maybe it doesn't have it as a priority. Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe it's got to be really quickly put together. Who knows how nature how nature really works unless we really study it, and which is really it's really cool to do, you know. Um, I like a good nature film uh, documentary, um, really, I really do. A really beautifully presented one, and we've had many beautiful uh, nature presentations on television um, that I haven't really seen recently. Um, but certainly, there were, of course, always the National Geographic stuff. Anything you get from National Geographic, you know. I used to get the magazine, I think, or at least read it in the barbershop and really admire the photography. Even at that age, it, you know, you know, National Geographic might have gotten me into photography. You know, uh, it, it, it might have been one of the catalysts, um, amazingly. 
Yeah, I got memories of Stan's Barbershop in Darlington on Central Avenue. Um, just going through his regular delivery uh, on the money. He always had the latest copy of National Geographic. So it's actually good marketing on his part. How many kids got subscriptions in that National Geographic back then? Probably the father had it, you know. Uh, in popular culture, it's always sort of a little bit of ridicule involved because on a MASH episode, at least, I know of. Um, the radar, um, the nakedity. I think he used that word, the nakedity of the, uh, of the tribes, you know. So National Geographic famous for that, certainly. Uh, the uh, looking through the, the tribal photographs for seeing sort of, um, uh, let's just put it this way, womanly attributes uh, in these photos. Um, you know, uh, in a national geographical matter-of-fact way, uh, but the panorama photos of that magazine are just incredible. The printing uh, was just so perfectly done. Just really incredibly great magazine to just look through and do a little bit of reading even. Um, a really perfectly formatted uh, uh, diary of what goes on in nature, certainly, even in technology. Uh, National Geographic pretty much uh, places, you know, places, exotic places, many, co uh, many a cover. Um, you know, think of the Congo or Burma, uh, you know, Indian elephants and uh, riders. Uh, and it's all that imagery, all that imagery that you conjure up. And, you know, classically, it's the safari, right? But yet, uh, I know the National Geographic will do an article uh, which is pretty cool, about the uh, urban manifestations in a city like Paris. You know, it might, I don't know if it's profiled that city recently. Uh, in, in, in previous uh, episodes, they've profiled Rhode Island as a article. Uh, I know it was one in the 60s when um, John, uh, our John Chafee, uh, really, he was a great governor. I was just a kid when he was governor. Um, but John Chafee and the National Geographic did an article, and I think there's a picture. And I remember this from, from grammar school, reading the article. I think it must have come out in 68, 69, or something like that. I'm pretty sure. It was like 68, which Chafee, uh, John Chafee was governor uh, in 68. So that came out and it was about Providence and Rhode Island. It was really kind of cool to see uh, a feature story, um, really, actually, um, a highlight story, you know, a mention on the front cover, certainly. Uh, and uh, so, so it's cool. But, you know, you're talking about 55 years ago, right, um, or so. Um, so... The great format and beauty of the National Geographic magazine takes us back to photography. Uh, when I got into photography, takes us back to what I was talking about 
indirectly with birds, um, has definitely been great bird photography. Uh, my cousin Mark takes wonderful bird uh, photos. I'd love to see what he's been taking lately. And that was based off the original premise of the morning doves. The morning dove. That little ground scratching, concrete pecking, onto your front lawn pecking, uh, waddly kind of quick walking, small teeny headed relatively to the other boys and uh, a sharp long beak, beak a sharp long uh, purposeful looking kind of little beak there coming out and uh, the morning dove So this morning it started raining at around 10.30, very heavily, and by 11 o'clock it was really just coming down, the sustained rain, and I had the feeling it was just going to linger um, for a while, it was going to hang around over us, um, because I just had the feeling that it had a lot of water to drop. Not torrential rain, but just a heavy, steady rain. And my gutter, my my gutterless roof, uh, did not. Uh, it, it actually used the original intent of a bungalow, which is to sort of shed the water off the away from the foundation, because of the. With most bungalows, the eaves are very deep. Um, some of them up to two feet, you know. Uh, mine, are, mine are certainly like at least 21 inches uh, overhangs. And so the water gets away for a little bit from the foundation, but then you have, without gutters there, you have, which is happening with me, you have a, uh, a gully or a trough that starts on the ground um, behind the bushes and it, it uh, creates, it can wreak havoc in the sense that water uh, will accumulate there, the volume of water will increase, and it'll, it'll eventually reach the, with pressure behind it, um, the windows being oversaturated with the constant downpour of the rain. So it's a recipe for flooding disaster for your basement. And we have a lot of basements in Pawtucket. Houses with foundations up here in Pawtucket, certainly. And we have an old uh, foundation on my house. Uh, and I came down this morning just to check the basement, and I'm glad I did. I should have been a few minutes earlier, but I'm glad at least I did go down because it was the beginning of sort of the disaster to happen down there. I came into the washroom um, and I heard rushing water and I didn't know at first as I walked closer to the water heater by the tool shed um, away from the furnace a bit um, I thought I panicked because I thought the tank ruptured and that was water coming out of it 
but it wasn't that. It was the rain causing the drains to the my house drain to overflow the main um, where the cleanout is, which is low on the floor, and it's an old three and a half inch line, um, and it's a takes a cast iron kind of screw-like plug plug that I learned recently actually gets hammered in by the plumber. Uh, it's got threads on it, but it's not screwing threads. It gets hammered into the, it's meant to fit perfectly, and, and my plumber luckily found one very hard to find uh, from these old houses. So before that was done, water was just rushing out. As I turned the corner, I saw my water heater was not the culprit. It was the right behind it was the storm drain um, and I didn't even occur to me it wasn't even on my radar storm drain I knew I had I knew I had problems with the stack um, and I knew there was some issues I think it needs to get replaced but I did not think that the plug at the bottom of the clean out the clean out plug uh, ruptured and uh, and the water actually pushed it off um, I you know it was found about only about eight inches from from the the actual uh, drain and the water was just coming out and and here I am wondering how to stop this volume of water from coming in the cap I tried replacing the cap it helped a little bit but it was still just coming out way too much uh, the, meanwhile the water was up to about an inch um, back there and I saw almost like a miraculous kind of thing um, there's actually two parts to the miracle is the first part is I saw a paint can a one quart paint can um, uh, and I was it was within reach because uh, I had to hold that, that cap uh, the cap because uh, if I didn't if I let go it would just blow right off and then so I grabbed the paint can, and it still had about a half a can of paint in it, uh, and it was a one-quart can, and it just it fit like a glove on top of the flange, and I was able to stop the water for the most part. I couldn't stop it completely. The pressure was just too great, um, and it was spraying out you know, two feet long streams a pretty heavy volume just coming out so I knew that water was accumulating but I did feel good though in the back of my mind knowing that I had mitigated um, I had mitigated the pro what could have been a real real flood down there and I've never really had real real floods in my basement luckily I had flooding but not any full-blown the, the most water that's come into my basement overall it always would come into sort of uneven parts and be end up just settling into site like puddles, um, muddy puddles basically. Um, but overall, uh, there would be there'd be a dry part of the cellar probably even if I had if I had like three quarters of an inch or even an inch of water that would be epic in my book for water, just the damage that it, that could cause with things on the floor even in, in lower amounts of water. But certainly, um, the, and you hammer those plugs in. Yeah, you hammer those plugs in, and now it's pretty good. And he also restarted my water heater, the plumber, Phil, awesome guy. Um, he came in and uh, explained everything, and he's very quick at working. He had to go out 
to Woodlawn, uh, Lonsdale Avenue to pick up a plumbing part, that, that cap, um, or the plug. The plug, because it's a plug. It's a, it's a male plug. It goes on the in-female flange connection that comes up from the floor, um, and it comes out on an angle. It's your, it's your clean-out. It's your clean-out to your main, your main, uh, your main of the house. So, um, and the, and and the water, of course, what it is. The bottom line is uh, in this older section of Darlington, there are no storm drains. There's no storm drain system. Pawtucket's in the process of putting in uh, huge projects, uh, uh, putting in sewer lines and things like that. But this, this, we don't have that benefit. So our drains have to handle it. Uh, the sewers have to handle it in Pawtucket. There's no, there's no dedicated storm drainage system. Um, so for the most part. And so it's just a whole different ball of wax where we live. Um, and uh, it's, but it's not really problematic. It really hasn't really even, it's, it's first of all, it's only the warm months of the year we have flooding problems. Uh, it's not gonna happen really in the winter, very rarely, unless it's a winter, wet winter storm, and it's a huge downpour of water. And we don't get huge down, we would get a blizzard then, right? But even in the fall weather, transitional weather, um, it's gonna just be a different, the, the, the heavy rains come in the summer, you know, the monsoon-like, uh, rains and this was sort of a steady rain this morning um, as I looked out my front window I just said wow it's really coming down you know and I really I, I really need to just go look at the basement <laughs> and I am glad I did go down when I did I I'm actually I thank God for that because it just would have been a total overwhelming overwhelming disaster uh, if I had gotten even even two or two and a half inches would even maybe even two would I think two would be problematic two would be a real yeah this would be a real uh, a lot of a lot of effort and time is going to have to go ahead guy uh, you're going to have to plan on this one you're going to have to uh, you know um, uh, dry up your basement and you've got two inches of water throughout uh, and your dryer is is very compromised. The pilot light already went out. Um, well, everything's safe basically once the pilot light goes out. My pilot light went out with the water that happened this morning, and and again, Phil, great. He restarted my um, he restart. Took a little while because he had to wait for the blue OK light to go on on the front dial, but he um, held the button down as long as it needed to. Seemed like an eternity, but the little blue light started blinking. Everything, then he let go of the button, and my pilot was relit. And I was, um, I was actually uh, rinsing off a, a dish upstairs uh, that I had my peanut butter crackers on, and uh, from my light lunch earlier, and um, it, it, the water was already hot. The water was already hot after about 20. I don't think it was even a half hour. So uh, I'm pretty impressed with that, but it ended up working well. It, I don't know if you have that looming feeling when you have major appliance problems. You just don't know how is this going to all resolve? How how much is this going to cost me, right? Um, and 
I know I'm gonna have to pay uh, his fee. I'm hoping it's as low as it can be. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's gonna be. They are gonna bill me. Um, and I'm hoping it's on the more affordable kind of side. Um, uh, but, because um, I wasn't planning for this to happen. So, but, um, you know, you get past these things and now I feel much better today. You know, really only about uh, three hours or so later, um, after the fact, uh, Phil left at around one. It's about going on, it's quarter of five right now, so a little over that. But he um, he explained everything. There's things that I always discover that I learn new when people like Phil, professionals, come in and tell you stuff that you didn't really even know about. But now that you know, you know, it's really kind of cool. It's really kind of cool. I've always had good experiences with um, with people that have to check. You know, a young man came to the check by gas. Um, he wanted to make sure I had no leaks. So uh, um, I forgot his name. Nice kid. Uh, he did a, a very professional, thorough job. And um, a couple months earlier, I had my gas meter updated with a new, brand new one. Um, they look about the same. Um, a little, it's a little smaller unit than your gas meters that you picture. Um, so that got replaced, and he was a nice guy too. So uh, it, it's all cool. I I try to be positive with interactions with people, and I I, I it's like I want to make it sort of effortless. It does seem enjoyable. Um, I do I do enjoy like just talking to people and learning about. Um, where they're coming from. Um, yeah, certainly. I actually was in Newport with my sister-in-law recently, Newport, Rhode Island, and it's kind of touristy. So I was able to, um, uh, Janet had a hair appointment, so I was waiting for her to um, get her hair done. And I was outside on the, in the mall area. It's all brick lined and it's very kind of colonial and nice. And it's a good, good uh, mall to walk down to. And there's shops on each side and there's a park bench there facing some of the shops and that's where I decided to plunk myself down with my my Starbucks mocha uh, and my uh, my um, scone the, the very not a lot of bakeries in that area which is disappointing I found that out uh, he directed me I had to take a little bit of a trek not bad walk but in any event Everything's good. I'm sitting there and I'm noticing um, tourists, and I I get up and I just have a little fun. I just I stop and talk, ask them. I just ask them where they're from, and we get we get people from really you know it's really all over the world. But most of the people I talked to were from uh, New York. Um, uh, I think we had one. Um, wow, why am I forgetting? Because I know all these. I had some nice short conversations, you know, um, but uh, I told them where I was from, and uh, it's it was kind of fun, and I did that with a younger couple, and then an older couple, um, and then uh, I didn't really, I don't know if I, yeah, there might have been a young family in there, I just, it just, uh, it passed my time, and it was kind of entertaining to me, and um, they seemed to enjoy it. And it was just really just stopping to say hi. And I kind of was, um, as I was doing that, I was kind of like, kind of proud of our state. 
you know, certainly Rhode Island and Newport. And I wanted, I wanted to be a good representative, but not really even that. I just wanted them to be enjoying Newport and getting out of it what they expected and more. You know, we, we got some great vitality in Rhode Island with our towns, um, big and small, our cities. And, you know, um, we have water fire and Providence and we have, you know, the duck boat rides, although they canceled them last year in Pawtucket. Um, the dragon boat rides I know in Pawtucket. Uh, so those are some kind of like kind of um, avant-garde interpretations or sort of like um, in the case of the, the, the races in Pawtucket, those are um, very kind of like um, really kind of nice. I've never really been to one, but I've seen video of them. They're very, they look like, they look like water fire, but they're a little bit more, um, it's just more of a daytime thing kind of activity there. So these last few days uh, have been hearkening of the beach and the peaches come into play. You know, the peaches on my counter in my kitchen. They, they were really looking good. I found many hard one varieties at Market Basket, but I went right for the ones that were a little softer to the touch. Um, I don't mind them even a little riper, but I don't like them too ripe, but I don't want them hard. Um, I want to eat them when I get back. And I've got one on the end of my counter to remind me to eat it um, a little later on, um, maybe after this segment. I'll go grab a peach. Well, maybe I'll wait till later. Uh, it's already 3.13 p.m. Eastern Time. So, yeah, the pitted fruit uh, awaiting me at my beck and call. Um, after a quick rinse, uh, wash, whatever. I don't go crazy. Um, and then I dry it off there and it's ready. It's a fuzzy, usually kind of fuzzy side. I like that. Um, I look for a little bit of a pink in, when I look for peaches. Um, pretty much nectarines do kind of count also, but it's a little different with that. Um, peaches are kind of a unique fruit, um, but the pit is big. Um, you know, uh, it's the good old peach. It's the good old peach and the peach varieties, you know. Um, and uh, it's after the apple, the peach is a pretty important kind of thing, uh, deal. It's great in the summer. We grew up with peaches in the house, sure. Yeah, we grew up. My dad, my, my dad got peaches. Uh, he, in fact, he even went, um, I think it was usually in the summer, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'll have to consult members of the family on that one when we really would go. But I think it would probably be spring and fall, but fall we picked apples uh, up in, um, I'm not sure if it was the Cumberland, Woonsocket area, probably, um, but we picked apples and pretty much every other fruit, you know, we weren't berry pickers. That would have been fun. But we, we didn't go there. We were apple pickers. We'd climb up the trees. I climbed up my share, um, throwing down ap apples carefully. You know, just like one of those idyllic, beautiful American kind of scenes, you know, apples, you know, how, how you know, not, I'm not even going there with the, 
patriotism, patriotism aspect of it. Uh, but the kind of nifty thing was my dad would go um, to get vegetables at the large row of produce um, just uh, right in, almost in downtown Providence. Um, uh, over by the highway overpasses was a row. Uh, it's no longer there now. It's uh, relatively high upper, upscale uh, apartments, three, four-story kind of um, uh, uh, built in the last, um, I'm going to say, the last 15 years. The big vegetable distributors for Rhode Island. Um, they delivered, but they you came and picked up uh, in this really kind of epically long row, um, at least one row of different uh, fruit, vegetable, produce-related uh, uh, establishments uh, in on the wholesale end of it, and they had docks. And it was, you know, I kind of remember as a kid going with my dad and we'd all kind of, some of us would go, most of us I think would go, uh, you know, we'd get in the station wagon and go to the produce markets, uh, markets um, in Providence. And, and in the shadow of the uh, Route 95 and its accompanying, accompanying overpasses, uh, we have a uh, row, uh, like I said, a long row of these really kind of big vegetable uh, concerns, uh, you know, vegetable and fruit concerns, you know. Um, and so my dad would get, I think he'd get berries there. Um, we, we weren't a big berry family. He'd get cherries, I, I know that. Uh, and uh, probably, you know, we would probably get apples too as our regular apple supply maybe throughout the year. Yep, certainly. Um, and the trips weren't frequent, but they weren't seldom either. Uh, we went enough times to keep us pretty much in the fruit and vegetable, uh, you know, uh, good area to be. Uh, so, you know, we did have our share of vegetable. My mom, my mom exclusively cooked um, uh, frozen vegetables, which are so convenient. And I, it's so great because I have Brussels sprouts in the freezer and I just haven't had a chance to, uh, they're frozen Brussels sprouts from Market Basket. I like them, they're smallish. Um, some of them get out of control, the Brussels sprouts. And I don't enjoy big, unless they're really super tender. But my mom was a bird's eye mom, you know, I mean, and, and it's, and it's e equivalents. Uh, and we got, you know, we got the green giant frozen, I know that. And anyway, we had frozen vegetables for the most part. Very, not much in the can kind of thing. And my mom always made uh, baked potatoes and we always had potatoes, plenty of potatoes growing up. No, no doubt about it. Um, and... Uh, not to play up everything, but we did have sugar in the cupboard because that harkens um, to get on. I want to get back onto the beach and the weather, but the, the, the sugar in the cupboard, certainly uh, the big five pound bag of sugar that was big when you were a kid, it looked really huge. Uh, my mom and dad, may, you know, may have gotten a 10 pound bag. I don't remember those details. 
but we had sugar because my mom made Kool-Aid in the summer and you needed shitloads of sugar to make it uh, palpable to us and it was really good she didn't over sugar it but she made it sugary it was my mom's uh, Kool-Aid was perfect actually uh, in every way it held up to ice really well um, my mom was really good with a lot of aspects of you know just uh, being a mom and you know just getting things done and specifically in the kitchen you know um, pretty my mom was pretty economic in the kitchen from what I remember and I know she baked uh, you know kind of like she baked when she kind of needed to bake and uh, and she cooked though because it was you know needed needed for us kids six kids growing up um, and uh, so yeah so the, the 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 frozen vegetables were one of the great inventions you know it's bird's eye um, uh, famously known for that still very much in business I don't get bird's eye I get market basket my local um, grocer um, brand and it's I, like I said I like the Brussels sprouts but yeah, we grew up with frozen veg. Um, my mom made a lot of beans. I don't want to forget beans. I haven't been eating beans. I'm going to try to get back to eating beans uh, more in my diet. I, that's one thing that I think is the missing link, maybe, because I'm trying to eat better. Um, I've told you this in previous podcasts that I'm now... Um, uh, kind of like celebrating the fact that I'm incorporating more into my cooking specifically like olive oil uh, and better use of it to me um, maybe than I have been because I'm kind of judicial with it but yet at the same time I do want it in there and I do uh, I like to use the olive oil I don't want to hold back on olive oil so I pour it and I know exactly kind of how that's going to work but it needs, I need butter, so it's always working with butter in the pan. But they both work uh, gorgeously together. And then the, the <clears throat> you know, the, the ingredients go in. And, I, and I'm, I'm learning now to put the garlic in at the very last. Almost shut the burner off. You know, shut your burner off, um, definitely. Put the garlic in. You want the, the t- flavor to go in, uh, you know, and but you you want it to really kind of stick first of all uh that's why i like to mince the garlic um i'm trying to max out the the garlic and what it can do and um i try to cut very judiciously like i cut the tips off close to the edge you know um i kind of value each clove of garlic and i got my own little um kind of primitive method I guess of uh, my own little direct approach to taking care of trying to mince up in the back in the day the back days I remember um, when I was cooking when I was younger I was also cooking pretty well in the kitchen I actually have always sort of cooked pretty well um, luckily for myself and others and um, but I uh, used um, I used olive oil and I used garlic more but now I'm kind of learning sort of like, um, it's actually kind of cool. I'm kind of like, it's like I'm picking up my bike from not riding it for years as far as in the kitchen. Um, and you know, the prep work I alluded to earlier too, um, 
that the prep work is really becoming kind of easier for me and a little bit more kind of pleasurable, you know, which is kind of amazing because I kind of like went into the kitchen. It's like I went back into the kitchen with a little bit better attitude. Let's just say that. Not that I had a really bad attitude, but my attitude maybe even just a year ago was to get in and get out. And I sacrificed, uh, you know, I, I sacrificed, uh, well, nutrition because I didn't eat vegetable. And going back to my mom, going back to the beach because I don't want to backtrack. Um, going back to my mom with the frozen vegetables, it was for her to be able to focus on the savory part of the dinner, certainly. And always, we always had a good, I think a good, and I think my siblings will agree, that we always had a good uh, mix of vegetables with everything. Our big meal was uh, typically dinner time. Uh, typically dinner time, uh, I'm sorry, lunch time. But we called lunch dinner. And then supper was the lesser of the two. And supper would sometimes be kind of loose. Uh, yeah, our dinners were the big dinners. We grew up as a big dinner eating family. Um, at dinner time. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, dinner in the, in the sense of being at around uh, as early as, uh, well, let's say one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, when we got together as a big family and with Tony and Bill Broder, our great friends, and my meme, um, my meme Lucia, um, you know, Aunt Pam, uh, when we got together for that uh and the, 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 so the dinner, the dinner in the Bert Massey, Lucille Massey house, the dinner, lunch, dinner time, lunch, but dinner, we called it. And that would be at around one o'clock, uh, maybe even 1230 now that I think about it. But that's the big deal of the day. And it was a big deal. It was a big dinner, uh, but I keep calling it dinner. And you think of the evening dinner. No, it's not. It's the afternoon. I, we called it dinner time. Dinner time certainly um, was at one o'clock, maybe 1230. Uh, and uh, pretty much on, on time. Usually my mom was really good with that. And then we did, I believe, uh, just kind of um, my mom, my dad being away a lot teaching, um, and he was also the church organist um, at our church here, St. Cecilia's, uh, right down, right down several blocks down here from down Newport Avenue, from where I live. And uh, my dad was there, so yeah. So dinner time, lunch time. Dinner time is lunch time, and that's one o'clock, and that's what we call dinner time. So anyway. That was our structure. But then it drifted that as we got older. You know, we made our own, sometimes we kind of put stuff together as would happen, you know? As would happen in any kind of household as kids get older, you know? They fend for themselves more, you know? They feed themselves more. Um, uh, but my mom continued to cook for us and always have um, casseroles or, um, Something she, th something she could put together really well it was, um, of course, her legendary beef soup. 
uh, and uh, shank soup and beef stew awesome beef stew which is my favorite that my mom ever made but her casseroles were awesome her tuna casserole was really to die for you know literally uh, potato chips classic Lay's potato chips usually I guess on there um, on the top of course classic and very satisfying very good uh, cream of mushroom soup in there good old Campbell's you know um, so yeah legendary my mom's legendary tuna casserole certainly uh, which we all enjoyed especially you know thinking about it coming out so hot um, that it just was so hot and so great and sure sure all that uh, we got we got the beef stew uh, uh, I mentioned earlier and the beef shank the beef shank uh, soup and uh, very good and uh, my mom made a great um, shells uh, macaroni uh, with um, the good old uh, ground beef my mom had a lot of tomato based ground beef very satisfying very filling very nourishing really um, and not too much salt my mom really knew how to knew how to do it uh, we really I thought you know in hindsight the more I think about it the more we the, the more I think that we had uh, pretty good nutrition growing up we didn't my dad did not get junk food for the most part when he went shopping he got the bare essentials uh, as an example um, and I think it's wonderful actually in hindsight again um, uh, looking back uh, he stuck to the old classics like cornflakes uh, we loaded it with sugar with defeating the purpose of it of course I put mounds of sugar on mine as did my sibs or my siblings my brothers and sisters um, the six of us uh, all eating cereal in the kitchen um, that my dad or my mom poured out for us uh, the older ones uh, you know poured out theirs out of the box too but it was cornflakes strictly yes cornflakes like the staple of cereal um, and then there was shredded wheat famously you know Nabisco shredded wheat we just called it shredded wheat uh, but it was a Nabisco product so it was consistently great um, but that had to be sugared up a little bit. Oh, yeah. We had our share of sugar, you know. I could get into other story tangents, but I don't want to do that. Um, I want to get back to the beach. This brings me back to the beach. Um, I want to come full circle to the beach and the peach. Um, I like the idea of tangerines in my stocking at Christmas time or navel oranges. <clears throat> and we can all as kids attest to that uh, my parents packed a really good stocking <laughs> to say that I, really I, I gotta say that in hindsight and my mom also made the most perfect Easter baskets as my siblings my loving brothers and sisters will attest to readily upon conversation uh, yeah certainly 
Uh, my mom made a beautiful Easter, uh, Easter basket. And this is one little mini tangent. I don't mind going off. Uh, my mom really crafted everything beautifully. The, the Christmas gifts were impeccably wrapped by Santa, as my mom signed all the gifts as Santa. Uh, it was her handwriting. My mom had very sharp, distinctive, kind of like uh, powerful handwriting, you know, when I look back. Um, she had a really authoritative look to her. She used sharp angles with her, you know, Lucille or Lucy. She had, a, she had actually a very good penmanship, my mom. Um, I think, you know, I think, I think I can say that really well. But we could tell uh, her Santa was her handwriting, of course. Uh, so my mom took care of the tags, obviously. <laughs> Uh, and my dad certainly helped her, uh, knowing my dad, my dad certainly helped her wrap the gifts. Uh, but he was really busy with, with his regular work. Um, but, um, but yeah, the Easter basket was that beautiful uh, cellophane that came colored in purple or gold or, you know, particularly purple, uh, just mystified me. We'd get up, um, we'd get up, uh, and sneak up, um, and my mom would have already packed up because of the Easter Vigil Mass. Um, my mom would have, coming back from Easter Vigil Mass, which is a long mass, you know, so they would get home probably at around, I don't know, it'd probably be at around one o'clock in the morning, maybe even later, and they would put out the, uh, by the time they get home, uh, even though St. Jean the Baptist our parish growing up was only a block away, um, looming over uh, our, our triple-decker, certainly, uh, in our, part, our little part of Woodlawn, Rhode Island, Pawtucket. And so, yes, the magnificent Easter basket. Um, so, yeah, this... This was all the hard work of my mom, and I'm focusing on my mom, you know, because I'm thinking of her handwriting, how really, it's, it's really, it was an angular, really kind of unusual, uh, I hadn't seen it really, but it's very legible, um, and yeah, it, I, it strikes out at me. My dad, of course, had a beautiful hand. Uh, he was left-handed, um, and he, he wrote very, really elegantly. Uh, my parents both had distinctly different handwriting styles and, uh, and consistent though. My dad wrote the same uh, from when he was maybe, I'm sure he probably started writing that way when he was 25, I'm sure of it. By that time it was a solid way to write for him and it's a beautiful script, very classic script style that is written out rather slowly um, to give more of attention to the craft of the uh, penmanship. It's definitely in the uh, school that the nuns taught us. But my mom, though, um, worked hard. She worked hard, hardworking mother. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and we can all attest to that. Uh, Claude, Nikki, Paul, me, Pierre and Renee. We can all attest to that. 
I like the peach beach connection. I like that kind of metaphor. Uh, the peach being used as a metaphor for the beach um, and all of the great imagery it conjures up, especially of my early years. Sorry, I'm going back in time because I've been really thinking about just the wonderful years I had as a youth. And it's like so cemented, isn't it? Where we all know that we've had really wonderful upbringing uh, for the most part. Did it have its issues? Certainly. Uh, did we have some dysfunction going on as a family? I believe so. Uh, but it didn't hinder our overall love and respect really for each other. Uh, and uh, certainly that's lived on to this day. Um, and it's all because of my mom and my dad and, and my meme and Tony and Bill it's, it's it really, it comes down to, I'm going to use this word, the instillment, the instillment. I don't even know if that's a word, but it should be. Well, the instilling of our values, of uh, kind of the way we think, positive thinking, uh, get it, do it. Uh, oh, certainly, those elements really did echo through. Uh, my dad didn't want me sitting my ass, really, he got me off my ass as a kid and I didn't mind at all, starting to work for Chevalier's Hardware, um, a hardware store that's no longer around, but uh, that I worked at, and it put nine years in there, uh, and I liked it for the most part, so that's all you can ask for, really, a job that you don't hate, you know? Uh, it was challenging. It has. We had our challenging moments, uh, working with the uh, with the with the family of the owner. Uh, but you know, not to even get into that. That's going to happen. Those conflicts are going to happen, and it's how we deal with them. Some of the things was kind of crass and harsh the way maybe I dealt with being younger and immature more. But my, I was still a responsible worker. You know, the hot summer days. Um, that we'd have to open the store up and fan, get the fans going, and it's you know literally 95 degrees in the store, uh, and it's a humid, uh, another hot, humid, hazy day, and we had them back then. Yes, we did. Uh, yep, back in the 80s, but with my time it was actually in the 80s, but I started in the 70s. I actually started in 75. So I uh, had about nine years at Chevalier's, but I learned a lot just about hardware and everything. But I learned that you need to get a grill uh, if you're gonna go to the beach, the round grill. Uh, we weren't a big grill family. We were the classic pack, pack sandwiches, good sandwiches that my mom made. And pack, uh, certainly my mom's uh, refreshing drink, uh, which was a simple, concoction of orange juice and ginger ale. That's all it was. Orange juice and ginger ale with lots of ice. And it came out of the Coleman Classic Coleman Cooler. And boy, and we had the large, we had the large deluxe Coleman, uh, the, the big taller one. And it was just chuck full. Uh, we took that from the tailgate of the ambassador wagon and uh, we'd get that on the tailgate and we would just be really uh, in total bliss. And the, 
the refreshment aspect of it, and I'm going to go take a sip of my water now because I'm just thinking about it, the refreshment aspect of that mixture that my mom made and the way she made it and the, the you know, the, the, the correct actual almost scientific to the point of her uh, ratios that she incorporated to succeed in that um, concoction was the most refreshing right to us as kids the most refreshing beverage on the planet at that time and place my mom's and my pet my 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 brothers and sisters are going to agree to this, I believe, 100%. Uh, that that time on Goosewing Beach in the hot summer sun, waiting anxiously for my mom or mostly or, or us to pour our own, yeah, us to be able to handle our own cup and pour our own helping uh, in a Dixie cup uh, uh, back then, but certainly uh, enough for us to enjoy of my mom's uh, ginger ale and uh, ginger ale, orange juice, and and ice, lots of ice, so super cold, super refreshing. And so that's another great caveat. My mom contributed in her efforts to make us happy, uh, as happy as we could be. And um, I think we were we were for the most part grateful for it. We were most part. We were at the most part in awe of it. Actually, we, if we did take a step back, in awe of my parents' total dedication and devotion to us. Literally, everything was my family. Everything was family with my dad. Uh, my dad could never uh, talk to anyone that he met. All his acquaintances and friends that he met, and there were many, and not mention my mom. Of course, first of all, Lou and everything that might be happening. Um, it's all was good, all good, all good. <laughs> a good spin, of course. Not that it didn't need, not that it needed it to be spun uh, in any way, shape or form. Uh, it was pure, it really was pure dedication and love for each other and spilling over into their family. But their family was primary. My dad, after my mom, it was the subject was us either one of us or two of us or all of us uh, kids I'm talking about uh, he they divvied up they, my parents divvied everything up equitably it's just amazing it's almost I don't know if it's cosmic um, and again my my siblings can attest to this if they really think about it um, my, my parents and our, my upbringing just through its overall happiness um, overall, and like I said, we had our issues. Certainly, certainly we did. But overall, just, you know, really awestruck. Awestruck, and we had things to do in the summer and the winter. Uh, we had school, but we had time off, and we had time with our extended family of great cousins and aunts and uncles. Um, numering in the, in the mid-40 population uh, by the time everything was said and done. 45 cousins. Uh, and all, all wonderful kind of happenings by lakes, by lakes, um, by 
in our, in our beautiful Slater Park uh, here locally and in, in Lincoln Woods. We had a really long uh, gig there as a family gathering there on Sundays, the Sunday picnics, the uh, Sunday picnics. So how kind of like, it is almost all American, isn't it? Sure it is. Why not say that? Let's, why not look, look at the whole thing in the eye and just realize it's really a lot to do with it. But for, by the same token, it's honoring Sunday as a day of rest. So it all jibes, get it? It all jibes with our Catholic faith growing up, which was strong, definitely strong, definitely strong. Uh, and it extended to our tenants. And I love that word tenant, you know, um, those tenants of, of um, the creed, but we didn't, we did sort of think of it as a creed because it was instilled in us again that word instilled in us through the priests um, the servants of the Lord you know uh, the nuns certainly uh, so we had really solid solid you know um, really grateful for that kind of uh, our upbringing you know really it just generally overall and just and, and you know um, good times and bad even because we learn from those trying times certainly and uh and the good outweighs the bad in 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 occurrence um good outweighs the bad you know and so i like that and i like the beach because the peach reminds me of the beach and this weather this weather there's the third tie-in the second tie-in the second metaphor, the weather today, in the last three days, uh, at least. In the last, actually, several days, and there's been other days before in June earlier. Kicked in, things kicked in in June for beach weather. And, uh, yeah, certainly, it's beach weather. I know it's by no beach weather when I see it, and today is another day of perfect beach weather. Uh, they, you know, isolated thunderstorms, you're going to get them. That's just part of the deal. Isolated thunderstorms. Many a times we were uh, rained out at the beach in our meadow and decided to, my dad decided to take uh, the, the Mount Hope Bridge, a beautiful Art Deco bridge we have in Narragansett Bay, uh, back home way. And we went by in pouring torrential rain as we rode in the wagon safely behind the glass. Uh, spooky houses because they were derelicts, but they were almost mansions. They were just really big, uh, really big house houses. And one was up on a hill. It was your quintessential haunted, uh, you know, uh, haunted. Uh, Stephen King would have a, a field day with this house and we rode by it and the lightning was heavy and it threatened uh, just to, you know, it just was threatening even though we were not in safe on our rubber tires in our car. We know we felt safe, you know, we knew to know, we knew to know that we would feel safe in the car and I remember feeling safe in the car. You know, we were, we were on rubber, you know, uh, we knew those things. So anyway, it was conditioned in us to know that it was okay to ride a car. In fact, 
actually pretty safe unless a tree falls on you, of course, or something like a telephone pole. Yeah, you got to watch out for that. But uh, the beach down where we were in, in, in southeastern Rhode Island, uh, we were certainly okay with the trees because it was really a sand transition, sand transi transition uh, uh, makeup of the soil. So uh, less trees, more open. You know, think of uh, sand dunes with with fronds coming up of green. Um, you know, that's kind of the imagery we got going here. And that's, but that's torrential rain, torrential rain and spooky houses, spooky houses. But the beach afforded us beauty at a very quick call, even though the 30, the 45 minute ride uh, uh, from Pawtucket to Little Compton, in our case, for most of our trips to the beach, Little Compton was a 45 minute ride just about. And today we would kind of like not even wink an eye at that or blink an eye at that. Um, we would be okay with it. But as kids, it did seem like a long trip, you know. But we like going under the uh, city hall, uh, the, the uh, 195 going under city hall, and then the exits right after that for, for um, uh, I forget what the first exit would be for. But it might say Little Compton, um, it might say Tiverton. Oh, I think it could go different ways. So there may have been both Tiverton and Little Compton signs there. But we got, we got our shit together, uh, you know, uh, everything in the car and everything. And yes, and we just had everything all together and for what we needed to go to the beach. But we're on the way back now from the beach. Maybe we ate. I think we may have had time to eat, but we were soaked out, but we did get in the car in time on the meadow at Goosewing Beach. Um, our beach, really, our beach. We adopted Goosewing Beach, certainly. That was our beach. Really, we really felt that it was our beach. You know, the more I think about it now, it really was. We really kind of owned the whole thing. Uh, it was just a wonderful feeling, and it still is a wonderful feeling. I try to get back that feeling. Even on the sitting on my front stoop, I think of the beachy kind of situation. I, I try to, I guess I transport myself. And that, that's pretty cool, I think. I transport myself as to what it would be like on the beach. But I don't lament over it. I don't lament over it because I got a nice situation here. I'm thankful to God that he's given me a life that um, I'm, I'm in a good, seem, I seem like I'm in a pretty good place right now. Um, certainly pretty good. And I enjoy doing these podcasts, but the beach in closing, I just wanna really thank you for sticking with me. And the beach is, has a real meaning to me and my family, my brothers and sisters, of course, and my, my parents. It's really, really was a great thing. And we go sometimes twice a week in the summer. My dad had Tuesdays and Thursdays off for the family. Uh, no, no interaction with work at all. He never was interrupted or called in for any kind of thing. Never had to skip it. 
It was consistently Tuesdays and Thursdays for us all, um, the whole eight of us, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays just off in the summer. Just the known fact, just the known fact that my dad had that day off. And that's why it was interchangeable with the amusement parks. <laughs> I just want to take another sip of water. Um, certainly. Um, amusement parks competed for the attention, but Beach won out and Park. Good old Slater Park, usually, uh, uh, would typically run out, win out. Uh, but the mix was all still there, and we did we did have we did go to. Um, I don't want to. I don't know if I can count how many times a summer, on average, our average summers growing up, that we went to amusement parks. But it was certainly in an, in an appreciable level that we were content with. Um, it may have been my dad. May have I don't remember. Uh, my elder brothers and sisters might remember um, how my dad, my dad might have figured out uh, what he was going to do that day. Um, we, oh, we got tickets uh, a lot of times. My dad would get tickets from his students, I guess, um, for, for, uh, for real big discounts. Uh, they were tickets, actually, to rides at Rocky Point. I don't know. We didn't have to, have to get our hands stamped. I don't think we did. Later on, we did, certainly. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that was the way it worked out. So maybe my dad on those iffy days, you know, my mom and dad would make the call to go to, let's say, Rocky Point. Or let's say, uh, let's say when I was younger, certainly Jolly Charlie's. Um, Jolly Charlie's. Uh, and uh, and then it was Lincoln Park, Lincoln Park, which had a great wooden roller coaster, just a classic, great wooden roller coaster. It was a great theme park. It was a great amusement park. Growing up, we really uh, it was cool. Lincoln Park was was really cool. Um, had enough critical mass. It was a good size amusement park, if my memory serves me correct. And um, I think it might have rivaled, uh, you know, uh, certainly bigger than Charlie Charlie's. Jolly Charlie's is a little more kiddie scale, but still has some pretty, pretty good thing going there too, as far as uh, advancements in, in 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 rides, in amusement rides technology back then. So it had some. Not scary rides, but more challenging rides, I'll just say. So Jolly Charlie's ran a little, had a little bit of range, but it, it did skew on the surface uh, level, um, uh, you know, sort of like go, uh, go around the wheel uh, with cars, fixed cars, and, you know, the, 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 um, the mini flume, you know, tame kind of amusement park rides. We liked, we, 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 we made a beeline for the challenging rides right off the bat. But one of them, one of my scary rides was at um, good old Lincoln Park. Here we go again in, in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Yep, uh, that was a one after, yeah, certainly after Rocky Point, Lincoln Park, they competed those two big parks. 
Yeah, and they were big. They were good size, and they offered a lot of variety of rides. You could be there. You could literally, literally be there all day. Uh, Rocky Point noted for its short dinner hall, huge facility, huge, cavernous, low-slung ceiling, uh, like it, almost like a, like a. Uh, I don't know. I, I, the only way I could put it is to explain is the low roof, but vastness to it with uh, long tables, and it reminds me, um, you know, it just is the uh, and just the fact that the ceilings are really low, and it was I had an open kind of plan because it was near 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 a lake, and they wanted to play off that Rocky Point uh, Shore Dinner Hall, sure. Shore Dinner Hall, and that was really awesome, awesome, and uh, the rides were great at Rocky Point, but yeah, the one, the scary one is, the scary one, and this is all part of the beach, because the beach and the amusement parks uh, interchanged, for the most part, for our attention, and then parks third, you know, going to the park, going to, going to Slater Park, uh, as a as a substitute um, with a Dunkin' Donuts. My dad would get a couple of boxes of dozen, you know, 24 donuts. Um, and we'd have our maple donut and be happy. But yeah, at the amusement park, we were, it was cotton candy all the way. We didn't shy from the treats of the park and all its uh, edible offerings. Uh, and we also enjoyed the rides immensely. It was just a great day. You know, it was a great day, uh, a great day outing, um, and uh, yeah, certainly, and the, the scary ride, the scariest ride, really, to me, because I didn't trust the technology back then that we were going to be just ripped apart and descended uh, down a, a huge height and just not cool because I didn't believe that the bolts were strong enough. Right. So I'm talking about the skydiver. Okay, it's, it's like a Ferris wheel, but that, any comparison to the Ferris wheel ends there. But it is like a Ferris wheel, it's a wheel. All right, but here's the kicker. And it's actually genius for a ride because it was one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I got a second runner up for a very scary ride, by the way. But this one, this puppy, it's, yeah, it's definitely scary. You're in a separate four-passenger compartment that has a middle steering wheel that you all have good reach to. And you're sitting in there with this big steering wheel in the middle. You know, you're in the wheelhouse of this unit that spins independently of the rotation of the Ferris wheel aspect of it, or structure. Because it is a Ferris wheel. It's like a Ferris wheel on steroids. We didn't use that term back then. But it was like a Ferris wheel on steroids. You could market it that today. And I wonder if they still make that or use that product because it is a, that structure, the architecture, because uh, in the world of uh, in the world of inertia, yeah, certainly, and in the world of uh, uh, involving rides, 
uh, involving rides. I don't know if that, that might even be a category. Uh, the skydiver from our era of the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, early 80s, the skydiver at, at, and it was at Lincoln Park in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, our second most visited park after Rocky Point. Or they may, they actually, when I think about it, they probably are interchangeable. In fact, maybe we did go to Lincoln Park most. Yeah, and you know what? Let me revise that. I think we did go to Lincoln Park most. I'll have to consult with my, my brothers and sisters on that one. But yeah, uh, uh, we had that great choice in the summer and the beach, the, the whole beach deal was, it, I, I myself uh, was in awe of the whole experience, certainly. We were in the now moment. We were in the now moment, it was groovy, man. Yeah, man. I say, old chap, that was very, very cool and groovy. It was. The beach, certainly. The family picnics at Slater Park on Sunday, a regular event with the extended family, with our cousins and aunts and uncles and friends. Uh, also awesome. Also awesome. Uh, awesome experiences, sure. Uh, and different dynamic, of course. Uh, but our family picnics were always great. And there were many, 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 many of us. I won't even go into the numbers. Uh, there were many, 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 many. We were all together there, I think, uh, between the aunts, the uncles, and the cousins, of course. And my parents, we were involved a lot of times, of course. Uh, in the overall Eustache, Eustache, uh, Massé, Eustache, Massé family in Lumina. Here's my grandmother, my beautiful grandmother. Uh, Lumina and Eustache, Massé family. And, it, um, well, you know, I'm going to just put it out there. Calculation. Uh... I guess it's a bragging point. I'm going to just say we were upwards to 60 people. So that's, that's a good group. That's a vibrant, great, real, high dynamic activity deal going on at good old Slater Park, Darlington, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Yes, sir. And later Lincoln Woods in Lincoln. Later, in later Lincoln Woods, Lincoln. That's uh, that's the footnote. Slater Park gets the big, big kudos uh, for the times we just had such incredible times with our extended family and our immediate family. We would make our Dunkin' Donut stops there and and and, and go dig in the sand in the back banks, uh, just by the brook. Uh, we'd go immediately digging in the sand. Uh, spent time. Uh, we had our own little corner, our own little literal corner, a turnaround point. Uh, a little came to a little sharp V, uh, and, and tables right in there. And we were a peninsula sort of a little bit, but not really. But uh, you took a big U-turn there, going around our table. That was our spot. It was first or second table in, 
And we had, that was our, that was our spot and no one took it. Not one time did we ever go there, I don't believe, that it was being used. But you know, let me think about this. Did we have a backup spot? No, we stuck to that. We were pretty good with it. Uh, lucking out as far as getting a spot in Slater Park. Park on a Sunday, but not really on a Sunday because we had that spot reserved for our extended family, uh, Mega, uh, the uh, aforementioned uh, 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 picnics or park days, Sunday, great Sunday. Great Sunday, really great Sunday. Uh, a little bit of religion religiosity, Catholicism in there because it was very mass-centric. We went to mass in the morning and then we immediately got ready uh, as duty called. My dad and mom in particular, of course, got into action with the whole scene. Coffee was made in large quantities. My dad took care of the coffee at the entire picnic of us, of our extended family on Sunday on a beautiful Sunday park day in Pawtucket, Rhode Island at Slater Park. My dad had the coffee duties, so he made a huge, uh, tall uh, Coleman, trusty Coleman, there's the trusty Coleman coming in again, um, to take up duties to keep that coffee hot. It was come, it come out black. I like that, I like that pure aspect to it. It come out black. It's just black because my aunts and uncles, I'm sure, although I didn't focus on it at the time, I'm sure drank black coffee. My dad left it black to accommodate that. Pretty cool. And then, uh, in other words, he didn't doctor it up with anything the way he wanted it, which was a little bit of cream, not too much, but he liked a good amount of, I like the amount ratio. I use the amount ratio that my dad sort of established. It's a good, it's just right. Not too dark, not too dark, and not too, not, yeah, not, it just seems to be a right amount. Um, ratio is really important with coffee. Um, my dad liked it, and he, but he likes sugar. I don't take it with sugar. I do everything with about the, about the half and half with my dad. I even think my dad preferred half and half too. Um, but he did like the cream, you know, uh, so cr creamy and pastry things. My dad uh, was, uh, noted for certainly uh, all part of the landscape of growing up and all part of the beach scene too because don't forget my dad helped my mom prep he ran around like a chicken with his head cut off uh, but but he did so lovingly to make sure that we had the perfect situation and my parents actually created perfect situations for us they really did they facilitated a bliss upon us, especially noticed, but not necessarily relegated to uh, the short seasons of summer here in southern New England, certainly. Taking the place, taking place at the Great Goose Wing Beach, taking place at the amusement parks the peach on my counter in the kitchen is hearkening me uh, to render it uh, with leaving it just its, its pit, its pitiful pit. And 
I think on this day, a warm day, I think, I do think of the beach and the, you know, the, 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 those earlier times, the, the earlier times that we were all together. 